welcome to the Be Disciples podcast. This is episode number 65. We're in season three, studying the book of Acts. How's it going, Dakota? It's going good. We uh, just had a good time of lunch with a brother of ours, Logan Zaziah. Uh, one of our students over here at Ottawa Bible Church just graduated with his MBA, and he's moving back home, so we're going to miss him a lot, but uh, that was just an awesome meeting. You know, this podcast is all about making disciples, and Logan is a living embodiment of what it looks like to make a disciple and then send them away. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's just awesome. We were able to bring him up in front of the church on Sunday, pray for him and send him out. Um, you know, we talk about our, our campus ministry all the time at Ottawa University and that it's it's a ministry that's meant to send people out into the world. That's right. You know, we're not looking at it as a way to necessarily grow our local church body, but it's a way to grow the kingdom. The kingdom. Yeah. And so I, I'm excited that it's just another person and he's not the only one. No, not at all. Uh, we've had a gentleman named Brandon who's going to another school uh, in Wichita uh, next year. And so, yeah, we're just, people are being sent out and they they know the word and, and we're just praying that they continue to stick with the word of God, could stay in it, find a church, find people to encourage them and help them grow and just be a part of that discipleship process. One thing that we've been doing in our discipleship is we always make sure that we have the word of God open just today. You know, our our last meeting with him before he moves back home, what did we do? We opened up the scriptures. And I think that is one of the main or should always be the main way in which you disciple someone. I think over the time, over the years, sorry, churches have gotten used to saying, well, discipleship is just living life together. And while that may be true, living life together doesn't necessarily mean that they're learning the Bible. It just means that they're learning from your moral lifestyle. That doesn't mean that they're getting closer to Jesus. You want them closer to Jesus, not closer to you. You want them closer to Jesus through the word. And Logan's an individual who was born again in this church, baptized in this church, and then started to disciple four other men before he left this church. So it's just incredible. And we're really proud of him. That's that's what it looks like to make disciples at OBC. Yeah, so we're going to be continuing in the book of Acts, but I have a question that I want to ask you, Dakota. We are going to be in chapter two, and we're going to be talking about Peter's sermon at Pentecost. So my question to you is this. Do you remember your first sermon, like actual sermon, not just a small group setting, but a sermon in front of the church body? Absolutely. Tell me, what was it like? Okay, so I was 17 years old. I had been on fire at Tonopah High School in Tonopah, Nevada. Our senior pastor at the church I was attending asked me to do the final sermon of the school year. So this is in May, maybe about, I don't know, a month or so before graduation in June. And my first sermon was on Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And I remember uh, the church was filled about three times the size that it normally was because All of the students, all of my teammates, all of my friends, guys and girls, everybody showed up to the the church that day. And, you know, I've listened to that message. I think I've got a copy of it somewhere on CD, but I gave an altar call at the end of the sermon and 86 people came forward and stood on the stage. And it was one of the most incredible moments. Now, I'm not sure if all of those were genuine salvations, but I just... I did the best that I could to preach the Word of God and to preach Acts 1-8, which I didn't realize at the time. That's what I was doing at the high school. And it was just this incredible moment. Everyone who attended the church was in tears because the stage was just flooded with individuals. So that, I think, was actually a 
a time that really kicked me off into the ministry. That catapulted me in the ministry, unlike a, a number of other things that have happened. That, that was just very, um, very distinct in my mind. I mean, it was definitely a moment from the Lord. And confirming. It was very confirming, about, absolutely. You know, what you're going to do next, which... Nothing about yeah. me as a preacher was experienced or anything to that matter. That was my first sermon. But I just, I called, I gave the gospel at the end. I called people to come forward if they wanted to accept Jesus as their savior. And it was like, you know, a third of our high school came up there. It was pretty incredible. Yeah, that's awesome. I know I remember uh, growing, you know, growing in, in a youth ministry setting and doing some like sermons for the youth group. Uh, and, you know, I, I look back and think they were super terrible. And your wife is, is a poor soul that I probably had to listen to them back then. She is. Yeah. I still counsel her all the time because of that. Yeah. But. You have to like reteach her things because, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Honey, don't worry about what Kyle said in his youth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the first time I got in front of the church body was at uh, Corona Baptist Church. Mm. And Pastor Mike was uh, truly a, a pastor who wanted to teach uh, other pastors and give them opportunity uh, to fill the pulpit, to learn, to grow in that area. And so I was very thankful because I had never had an opportunity prior to that to to be uh, on a Sunday morning and to to give a sermon. And so I even got the opportunity in a bilingual services to do that with somebody translating, which you don't always get that opportunity. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's just been, I, I've looked back at sermons and, and saw my mistakes and saw things I could have done better, but I do know that the message was true. Regardless, That's the biggest thing. Um, and that God used those messages uh, for people. And so I, that, that's what keeps me going. Stick to the words, stick to the Bible, stick to the text, and you won't get off on, on any weird tangent about something else when you just stick to the Word of God. Preaching is really an art because if you're not spirit-filled, then you're already in trouble. If you don't know the Bible, you're already in trouble. But then all of the bells and whistles and all of the creative ways to communicate, to help people remember things, that takes time. It, it's truly an art. It's called the the topic or the study of homiletics. If you give a homily, right, you, you're giving a sermon. So the the class of homiletics is very helpful, but it still takes experience and time and I've learned over the years that you have to be your own worst critic, but you also have to be very careful not to get into the, the Holy Spirit's way. He, he can work with or without our ums and with or without our perfect illustrations, and he can often do more when we're just prayed up and ready than when we try to make it sound perfect. Plus, you have to be willing to take criticism. You do. Uh, it's hard. Dakota likes to tell me all the bad things that I do in my sermon, but it's sharpening. It's like, oh, I didn't even think of that. Or, oh, okay, that makes sense why that would engage people even more if I say this instead of that. It's just those little things. And they are little things, but it is reordering your thought process a little bit while you're presenting something. And so that's, that is difficult. And you do the same for me. If I go too long or if my point was a little – if I stretched it out too much or if I had too little application, I mean, you do the same thing. So – um, yeah, I know where you're going with this question, though, because it it's very relevant to the text we're going to be in today. Yeah, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, and so I'd like to pray for us, and then we're just going to start reading and going through the text and hear what Peter has to say in his first sermon That's right. at Pentecost. That's right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to uh, read your word and to present it uh, to all of those who are listening. I pray for all of the listeners that they would grow in their understanding of your word and that they would open the Bible with people. 
that they wouldn't keep it a secret in their own house, even though there is a time and a place to be in the word alone with you, Lord, but that this Bible would be shared with the people in their lives, that they would open it with them and that they would read scripture and talk about it as we're doing on this podcast. So thank you, Lord, again, and uh, just bless this conversation as we uh, glorify your name in doing so. In Jesus' name, amen. And I just want to add really quick, Lord Jesus, we also just pray for anyone listening from other countries persecuted countries, we ask you right now in Jesus' name that you would help them to persevere in their faith and to fall deeper in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Peter's first sermon post-Pentecost, probably first sermon ever, verses, uh, today's passage is going to be broken up between chapter 2, verses 14 to 21, and then we're going to have verses 22 to 28. And then verses 29 to 36, I think one element or one factor that holds all three of these passages together is that Peter starts referring to the Old Testament. He alludes to the Old Testament with a number of points that he makes. Why don't you share on that just for a brief moment? Because you're currently taking an evangelism class and you made a great point before we started our our episode. What was it? Yeah, if we look in some of the Great Commission accounts of Jesus before he ascends into heaven, especially in Luke, uh, we see that in chapter 24, starting in verse 44, we see there that Jesus uh, opens their mind to the scriptures, to the, to the fulfilling of prophecy and to the Psalms. And he's talking about the Old Testament. Yeah, he's talking. Yeah. And so we're going to see Peter here take that instruction and then use it to make his points. Peter is not making his own points from his own opinion, but he's going to be using the word of God in in order to do so. Right, because his mind has been opened. And by the way, this is not the same old Peter. This is now Peter who's indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. And he's got a whole new ministry because a new covenant has began. So uh, maybe we're getting off on a tangent here, but let's just start verses 14 through 21. But Peter, but Peter taking his stand with the eleven raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. You can sense the boldness in his voice. For these men are not drunk. Remember last week's episode, Pentecost took place in chapter 2, verse 13. Everybody was saying, surely these men are drunk with what's happening. Mm -hmm. No, Peter rebukes that thought. Verse 15, these men are not drunk, as you suppose, For it is only the third hour of the day. It's the afternoon time. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Peter's quoting from Joel chapter 2. And I think he's giving an indication of what will take place in the last days. One is that individuals will prophesy. The spirit of the Lord will be poured forth and men will prophesy. I actually think that's a part of what Peter's doing even right now in this moment, wouldn't you say? 
No, certainly. I mean, we see Peter here kind of in a new light. Uh, we can think of the Peter as when Jesus, uh, before the crucifixion. Kind of a goofball. Uh, yeah, and just kind of making you know comments that got him in trouble all the time, right? Uh, not that he didn't say good things, but you see this authority coming from Peter. And here. A, a maturity, a confidence. Yeah, and we know that's the working of the Holy Spirit. We know that's being a disciple of Jesus and learning and growing. There's a, he just, you, right away standing, he lifts his voice and addresses him. He's not afraid to lead. There, there's a, there's a courage there. There's a, there's a, he's confident in himself because he knows who Jesus is. He's not questioning it anymore. Now he's preaching or he's trying to persuade right? The men and women to hear what has been going on. And so he says, no, these are not drunks. These people are filled with the spirit and this is what it looks like. And then he goes into uh, Joel and talking about, you know, the last of days, the pouring out of the spirit, the prophecies that'll take place, the visions that'll take place. We're studying the book of Revelation right now as a church. We are. We're seeing all of those things happen. We're seeing the prophecies, the two witnesses. We're seeing visions. We're seeing what John got from God, writing it all down. So, you know, this is what we're seeing in the book of Revelation. So this is what Peter, this is the direction Peter is going. He's talking about something for the end of times, but also for right then and there. Right. Well, verse 17, Peter quotes Joel and he says, and it shall be in the last days. God says that I will pour forth of my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. I think Peter is now reading Joel 2 through the eyes of Jesus. And I think the very thing that he's doing in the moment is he's he himself is fulfilling that prophecy. Why? Because God's spirit in the last days have now been poured out on his people in the church. Mm-hmm. And what caught me about this text earlier, or rather it just caused me to pause, was that Peter goes on to speak of, you know, dreams and visions, which is interesting because later in the book of Acts, he's going to have dreams and visions, and that's going to be common for evangelistic practice in the book of Acts and the establishment of the church. But what caused me more uh, pause is really the signs in the sky. And it had me thinking like, do I see a ton of signs in the sky in the book of Acts? I really don't. But Peter is not just talking about how We know this is the last days because of prophesying and visions and dreams. Peter is saying these characteristics will mark what the last days look like. So it doesn't mean that those signs in the sky have to be happening right now. What Peter is saying is, hey, one of the ways that you know you're in the last days is because there's going to go forth the preaching of the gospel by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And another way you're going to know that it's the end of the days is that that it's the last days, is you're going to see the signs in the sky, which I think we're possibly still waiting for if they haven't already come upon us in more of a mild manner already, if that makes sense. I'm trying to not interpret like blood moons too far, but I'm just saying, um, I think Peter is telling us that right now we're in the last days. Yeah, I mean, verse 21 says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And specifically, Israel will do that at the end in the tribulation. So there's more of the last days to come. Right. And so continuing, uh, anything else to add before we move on to verse 22? No, I just think it's it's really beautiful for the man who, if, if you think about it in context, the man who just rejected Jesus six weeks ago, you know, estimated estimated six weeks ago in chronological order, the one who just 
cursed Jesus's name and said, I don't know him three times. Now you see him in the open square preaching. And that just goes to show that not only not only when Jesus redeems you, does your life change, but when he gives you his Holy Spirit, sometimes he calls you to a deeper ministry than you could have ever imagined then before. So that that's just really amazing what we're seeing. We're seeing Jesus's disciples carry on the ministry that he started. Uh, and that's also why one of the reasons why Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away. I think it's in John chapter 16. Because if I don't go away, then the Holy Spirit or the helper will not come to you. You're seeing the direct evidence of that now. The Holy Spirit has come upon his disciples and Jesus has left. It's to their benefit that Jesus leave. So we move into verses 22 to 28. And verses 22 to 28 says, Men of Israel, he continues his sermon. Listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined and foreknowledge of God, predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exulted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope because you will not abandon my soul to Hades nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Any thoughts from verses 22 to 28? Yeah, Peter shares the gospel. I mean, he's telling them who he's talking about. He's talking about Jesus, the Nazarene, or in the SV, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. I mean, he proclaims what he's done. He proclaims that he's been crucified and killed um, and that he has been risen from the grave. He is living out the great commission that he was just told to live out by proclaiming this word. So he's obeying God. Um, Again, you you mentioned Peter denying Jesus. Peter's not denying Jesus here. Not he's, at all. He's being obedient to God, and he is being bold in, in claiming who Jesus is. He's saying Jesus is God, and that he has accomplished everything through the cross. He has died for all sin, for the forgiveness of sin, and then goes to a Psalms. That's goes right. to David. Interpreting the Old Testament yet again through the lens of Jesus. Yeah, so again, he's, he's using Scripture— to make his points, right? He's not using scripture to back up his own opinion, right? And that's good preaching. It is. When you use the scripture to back up your points. Yeah. So those of you listening, if you're listening to a preacher who's not using scripture. Come on, we could get off on a whole up, episode yeah, just but I'm on just, this topic. But I'm just saying, be careful. Listen to those. Really pay attention. Is it a sermon of just a bunch of ideas and then a little bit of scripture yeah, or is it a Ted talk or is it about the word? Right. And so just be careful because that's what Peter's doing here. He's, he's being very careful and sticking to the truth, sticking to the word, using scripture to say, this is what I'm talking about and proclaiming the gospel. Well, there's a difference between a preacher who figures out what points he wants to preach. And then he finds the scriptures. He cherry picks the scriptures to confirm his points, almost as if the scripture is nothing more than an ornament to his point. 
versus the preacher that says, this is the text I'm going to be preaching and I'm going to derive my points from the text. So which one comes first for the preacher, your points or your scripture? And I think that's that's one of the key ways that you can notice or discern healthy preaching versus unhealthy preaching. Now, I do want to be fair. There are times when you're doing, let's say, a topical sermon on like the subject of hope. And then you you peruse and you survey all of the instances in scriptures regarding hope in, in, in our Bible. That's fair. But the problem is that many preachers and wanting to do a TED Talk or just, you know, some type of light teaching will come across as entertaining, maybe even just to itch or tickle the ears of his listeners. And then, yeah, because, you know, I have to, and because we're Christian, I'll throw a few Bible verses in there. But really what the preacher is saying is that the word of God is boring, so I'm not going to preach it. And I'm more compelling in and of myself. I think what we see in good preaching from Peter is that he appeals to the scriptures to make his points, and and that's Holy Spirit-inspired preaching. The Holy Spirit indwells and empowers the individual, and by the way, the Holy Spirit also wrote the Word of God, so you can't go wrong in those two functions. Right, and then I want to make some observations about okay. the Psalms that we're in. Okay, I mean, David is talking about his relationship with the Lord. And he has some descriptive words when when he is sticking with the Lord, when when the Lord is, says, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. He, and that therefore my heart was glad and his tongue rejoiced and my flesh who dwelt in hope. We're, we're seeing the result of a relationship with God. It is gladness. It is rejoicing. It is hope. I mean, he goes on at the at the end there. You have made known the plans of my life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. I mean, what is the result of trusting in the Lord and making him Lord over your life? It's gladness. It's joy. It's hope. What an amazing thing that that David is pointing out here. And he's telling them, Peter is telling Israel that trusting in Jesus results in these things. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I find that beautiful. Peter isn't necessarily pointing out how bad they are. He's simply preaching the gospel, telling them what Jesus has accomplished. And the result is that of what David talks about the Lord, and that is gladness and hope. And he's really giving a message uh, of a, of hope for the future. And and I, I just, I well, I mean, I love David. I love the Psalms because David is just is able to point out the character of God, who God is, how he works in our lives and how much we can just rely on him and how much gladness that brings into our lives. So I love that Peter uses this scripture to point out what that relationship looks like. Yeah. And if we're being fair, you have in this Old Testament passage, Psalm 16, you have one Davidic king who was not perfect speaking about his relationship with the Lord and the hope that he had for eternity. But then you're going to see Peter make a connection to Jesus and King David just in this very next passage. There's even a greater Davidic king, a, a more perfect Davidic king, whose, whose body and whose soul will not undergo decay or be left in, in Hades. The, the idea is that there is a perfect Davidic king who Peter is about to speak of, and this is none other than Jesus. So, that that's amazing to me. And I also think just going back for a brief side note, verse 23, this man, Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, 
You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Verse 24, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for for him, Jesus, to be held in its power. I always like to say that the death and resurrection of Jesus was not plan B. It's not as if God said, oh no, actually this was just God's plan all the time. And it says it, it was a predetermined plan according to the foreknowledge of God. God knew these things would take place. But it was his plan all along to save individuals from their sin and to build a kingdom just for himself. That's yeah, incredible. It is incredible. Another couple of things just in in David's writing here, uh, it sticks out to me, for he is my right hand that I will not be shaken. We got to think about David, you know, only had so much, you know, he didn't really have a lot of scripture to go off of. Um, well, he was writing he it. He was writing it, right? Uh, he had the Torah. Right. And then we have even Peter. They've, they've got the First Testament, so they've got writings, but we as the church possess it all. Possess it all, the whole Word of God. Isn't that amazing that we get to hold this book in our right hand, and this is what we need to stand on? And it's amazing the faith of David, the faith of the apostles, but now we have the full Word of God at our disposal. We should just be holding on to it at all costs. And preaching from it at all costs. Yep. So finishing with the last passage, verses 29 to 36, on to the point about David, brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we, the apostles, are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, which he's experiencing right now in his sermon, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Well, what did they see? Tongues of fire descending on upon the believers. Hearing. What are they hearing? The sermon that's Holy Spirit inspired here in this moment. Verse 34. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He quotes Psalm 110 verse 1. Therefore, all of the house, or excuse me, therefore, Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Final thoughts as we close today's episode on this passage. Yeah, I mean, Peter really gives uh, the final summary at the end. He does, doesn't uh, he? A real point, right? That Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Amazing, right? Because... Master and the anointed one. Yeah, because these, you know, Jewish people, the Israelites, the ones who have put him to death are still following the law. Uh, they have not, they do not possess the Holy Spirit because they do not believe. And so Peter is making a point. He's persuading them by using scripture that yep, they believe in to say, this is who I'm talking about. You are so focused on King David, the one who has not been resurrected, the one who has called Lord, 
the same Lord I'm talking about, Lord. Uh, and I like right, how verse, he used this. Verse 34, verse, yeah. Yeah. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So, man, he really drives home the point of who Jesus truly is. Lord. He's Lord. And I think this sermon is very quick, at least in the writing here. It's quick to read, but what a powerful message, compact, straight to the point, using scripture, exactly what the people needed to hear. One thing that I challenge my students with at Ottawa University quite often, in fact, probably every class, because their final paper is they have to write what they think about Jesus. And they only have three categories or three options to choose from. Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And I I don't give them any other categories for Jesus because, to be quite honest, there aren't any. He was either lying, he was crazy, or, you know, and ignorant, or he just absolutely knew what he was talking about because he's telling the truth. He's Lord. That's their final project. That's their final paper. And I think Peter has given it to him straight, and he's saying this Lord is the one who has died, resurrected, and by the way, he also makes mention of the fact that he has already, verse 33, been, past tense, been exalted to the right hand of God, meaning God the Father. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this, which you both see and hear. So Peter is arguing for the supernatural working of God in his salvific plan. Here's the cool thing is that next week we can come back with our next episode and we're going to see the response to this preaching. Good preaching assumes a response from people. People have to respond to a sermon that truly hits them. And next week we'll be in Acts chapter 2, verses 37, all the way to 47. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the Be Disciples podcast. Please share this podcast as we just want to get the word out to everybody. Rate us on any podcast platform that you are listening to and just spread the word. Uh, Thank you so much for listening and supporting us just by uh, reading your Bible and getting out there and spreading the gospel. Have a great week.